Father, we have been praying so much over these last couple of days that not just any sanity, but a sanity that reflects your presence come back into our world and into our communities. And we, Father, uh, are, are brokenhearted over the, the profound tragedies that have taken place, not, not just in our own country, but all over the world, dealing with this same, same issue, fallenness in, in your creation. And so, Father, uh, as we step out of uh, the normal routine of, of living in the world and come together in mass as your people and as your family and people who have wholly dedicated themselves to living out the implications of the gospel every day as disciples of your Son, Jesus, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For there is so much more at stake than just philosophies, but your glory, Father, is at stake in your creation and in people that are made in your image. And we ask you to bless us in this way profoundly, Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. There is uh, an Old Testament professor, uh, she died a few years ago, she was at Union Seminary in Richmond, Virginia a very, very famous Old Testament scholar, and she wrote a book on how to put together a, a sermon and what preaching through the Old Testament would look like. And there was a statement that has lived with me for a number of years, uh, probably uh, 10 or 15 years now, but she said, you, you know, the, the difference between uh, really a, a, a good message and just a message is that uh, in, in a regular message... It's, it's not just telling you what's happening in the world. She writes, you know, any six-year-old who halfway watches television can tell you what's unfolding in the world around you. She said, what makes a message profound and profoundly godly is when that message tells you not just what's happening in the world, but what God is doing about it. I want to speak this morning about the issue of race and the issue of racism. I'm not going to pretend to, to be an expert on this subject by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not even going to say all the things that need to be said about this subject from God's Word in, in a sermon, a one-off sermon like this morning. But what I want to do is, is to at least get us thinking in the right direction as it comes to addressing all of the things that, that are taking place in the world around us. And it's not just black and white. It, it happens all over the world where people in, in, in different cultures, of different races, of different languages are trying to blend together, and it doesn't happen, and, and there is violence, and there is hatred, and there is meanness that is perpetuated in our world because people do not understand, nor believe, or have embraced, or allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ into their life. I'm not going to comment on, on the, uh, the specific tragedies that have taken place in, in, uh, in Louisiana and Minnesota and in our own state. 
the, the, the information and the details of those, those events are, are still unfolding. And many of you, as I have, have been looking at uh, things online and looking at television and newspapers and such, and, and there's all kinds of information coming out and people are accusing each other of false reporting and false information and these kinds of things. My response to what has happened is in, in, those, in those areas, we pray for clarity and we pray for love, and we pray for peace. And we pray for those families that are brokenhearted right now. Regardless, regardless of the reasons that triggered these events, it is a tragedy when somebody made in the image of God loses their life. And so what I want to talk about is, is, is some of the, the, the words that are being spoken, that have been triggered by this event, that, that touch us all. And that really with race and racism. Racism, whether we have personally experienced it or not, will always, always, always be a fact in a fallen world. We can, we can, we can make strong strides, long strides, to, to, to not be racist in our own heart, the gospel doing its business, God doing his thing inside of us. But as long as there are people being born into a fallen world and there are people that are rejecting the gospel that brings people together in unity, there will always be racism. And because there is racism, there will be hurt and there will be violence and there will always be a need for the people of God to know how to respond to that, whether in their own prayer life, in their own way of thinking, as they interact with their family and talk with their children, talk with their colleagues, they go to school, they go to work. There will always be a need for light to shine in darkness. Right? So two things. Two things, and, and we'll be short this morning. The first is, as the people of God and the people that claim to follow God and to hear God's Word spoken to us through the Bible and to be led by His Spirit and to be a community that represents God and embodies God, we need to make sure that we always see the right thing. A simple illustration. Many of you, especially in my generation or older, know the name of Lee Iacocca. At one time, he was uh, chairman of the board at Ford and, and later uh, was, was involved with, uh, with Chrysler, wrote a biography that was really, really popular. But one of the things that put Lee Iacocca on the map when he was working with Ford is that he was kind of the, the father of, of the Ford Mustang back in the 60s. Now, it, it, was a, it was a brilliant car, and it made a lot of money for the people at Ford. But the funny thing was, not all of them looked alike. He made, he, he made a Mustang that sometimes was red, sometimes it was green, sometimes it was orange, sometimes it had stripes. And people would look at all of those cars that came out of that factory, and they'd say, you know, I don't really like that color, I don't like that color, but I really like this color over here. And they would choose. And they sold like hotcakes, and very, very popular, very, 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 very uh, uh, successful uh, design on a, on a four-wheel car in, in, in our country. But the difference was is that, you know, while everybody else was choosing according to color, if you were to ask Lee Iacocca, he loved them all. He didn't see a Mustang that he didn't like. He didn't see a color that somehow didn't touch his heart 
and, and, and make it speed up when he looked at that car coming off the factory line. We must always, as the people of God, see things the way that God sees them. We, we, meet, we need to make sure that when it comes to looking at people, we don't do it in the conventional human way. When you open your Bible up, one of the first and most profound lessons about what it means to be a human being is that in Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that we are created by God. And the second significant fact is not only that there's a God and he's the one that created us, but number two, he created us in his image. Now, that means a lot of stuff. And you don't really have to know the details of all of that stuff, but to know that whenever you look out at a group of people, whether it's at a football game or a Spurs game or a Coliseum or even a church audience, that what you're looking at is a group of human beings that, that are made with a particular intent. That people, human beings, are made in the image of God. But that's a fact that we often forget because we look so different. And some of us look good, and some of us in our own mind, you know, look fantastic. And then there are, <laughs> there are those of us that are really, really tall, like Derek, and then there are those of us who are really, really short, like myself. And all of a sudden we find ourselves with preferences. And we have preferences about, about hair color and hairstyle, and, 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 and it even gets down to the most profound part of the facade, and that is the color of our skin. And it becomes very, very easy for us to forget that human beings, regardless of where they might be in their relationship with God, that human beings, every single one of them, have been made in the image of God. And that's where their significance comes from. And that's where human worth comes from. It doesn't come from evolution. Evolution says that, okay, you're an accident. You're a mistake. You're a bend in the path of, of, of biology. That, that something took place that's kind of confusing and we've never been able to connect all the dots, but, but yet you somehow started out as something like this and ended up like this and there's really no meaning to it or significance at all. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you look at a human being, you, you're seeing somebody, someone that's made in God's image. If there's some, at the most base level of human existence, there is something divine there. But we forget it. Because that's the nature of human beings. We forget these kinds of things. And I mean, human beings need to be reminded from time to time that, that that's not the way that God looks at human beings. And so we go a little bit further into the Bible. King Saul, as you know, as the kingdom of Israel has gone into the land and Saul is being rejected by God because, you know, he presumed too much and went off in a, in a faithless direction. And now it's time for God to raise up another king. And that king is? Who comes after Saul, church? David. And so here is Samuel, the great prophet of God. He says, I want you, Samuel, to go down to Bethlehem, and I'm going to show you in the house of Jesse which one is going to take Saul's place. And so what does he do? He gets to Jesse, he says, I'm here to anoint the next king. Where are your sons? And Jesse, thinking like a human being, goes, well, he must be talking about the oldest. And he starts parading all of these sons in, and Samuel looks at him, and God says, no, 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 no. And, and Samuel, I mean, he looks at the oldest one who is just, it's just beautiful young man, and he's thinking to himself, this must be the guy. And God says, no, you've made a huge error here. 
you look on the outside. But I, who made them, look on the inside. The fact that people are made in the image of God means that we, when we understand human beings, it goes beyond the style of their hair, the color of their eyes, the type of clothing that they're wearing, even the color of their skin, the language they speak. Some of the most profoundly righteous, godly people that I know are not even American. We must always see human beings the way that God sees them. And then a second thing, what happens inside of this auditorium every Sunday morning needs to happen on the outside of these walls. What happens in this auditorium has to happen in this city. One of the things I, I do from time to time, and I would challenge you to do the same thing, you ever just kind of sit down and just think about all of the ways the people in this church family bless you? I think about a white man by the name of Alan Babcock who I, I think is just one of the, the wisest people I've ever been around. I, mean, I love to hear him pray and I'm blessed. I think about a black man by the name of Everett Heiston. And I know I'm not the only one that can say how blessed and enriched our life is because of Everett. I think of um, all of our families that, that struggle somehow with uh, the, the issues of, of mental health. And I think of a, of, of a black couple with the last name Hollins. And think about, you know, all the things that they have taught me in, in helping me to be a better minister to, to people who struggle with mental health issues and to understand what, what's happening there. I think about my friendship with Prentice Spivey, another African-American man who I think has unimpeachable integrity, who is there every time I need him. I, I think of, of about a, a, a Hispanic fella by the name of Steve Flores, who is as good a friend to me and as close to me as a brother as I have in this world. I think of a white guy of Irish descent named John Skipworth. I think of, um, of the encouragement that I get from a Brazilian woman by the name of Sophia. I think about how I would probably never ever know any of these people or intersect with them in any other way except that God has called us together to be one in one body through his gospel of love. And I think about how enriched 
my life is because of these people that are as, as different from each other as they are from me, but all made in the image of God and by the gospel and through the gospel have been transformed and radically transformed in such a way that they can hang out with a white guy like me. That is one of the greatest witnesses of the power of the gospel that the world will ever, ever, ever see. You know, you go to that book, Ephesians, that letter, you've got this church that is just so, so troubled because they haven't recognized the power of the gospel in their own life. And Paul spends that first chapter saying, do you understand that at great cost to himself, God has saved you? That God has, has wrought this forgiveness and this salvation in such a way that you'll never be the same. And it's been done through His Son Christ who loved you and gave Himself for you. And not only that, He's put His Spirit in you to, to help you and to aid you in that transformation. God's not telling you to be a disciple of Jesus and throws you out in the water and it sink or swim. He's putting His Spirit in you to make sure that even though it's organic and it's kind of this, this uh, botanical uh, imagery that's used throughout the Bible, that it's slow. You are changing into the likeness of Christ. And then he gets to the point in chapter 2 and he says, you know, here's the deal. You people are not getting along. The effects of the fallenness of the world, the sin that is in the world, is evident in the church because as you see in the world, Sin and difference and fallenness and all of these things are driving everybody apart. It's causing wars. It's fussing. It's just it's meanness in the world because of this. And we're seeing it in the church in Ephesus. He says, don't you understand what God did through the cross? That, that, that God's Son died for you so that you could have a relationship with God. That you can't get on your own. It's only by grace. God gets all the credit. You do nothing but put your faith and trust in it. And when other people are starting to do that, as we all grow closer to God, we grow closer together. And he begins to use the imagery of family. He says, you know, you were far away and now you've been brought near. You were foreigners and now you've been made partners and members, chapter 2, verse 19, of God's own family. And God did it through the gospel. But he said, but get this. Not only does the community around the church in Ephesus get to see this and ask the question, how in the world could all of these people from all over the world come together in a place like Ephesus, different languages, different customs, different appetites, different skin color, how is it that they can be one body? And he says it's the cross, and people see that. But it's not just the people around you that see it. It's even the powers of darkness that see it. Because who really is at heart of all violence and racism and meanness in the world? Darkness, right? It's darkness. And because you are living as light, you're catching their attention and showing that the power of the gospel to reverse the effects of sin is more powerful than the sin itself. And so the worst case scenario for us as a church is to allow the virus of a really anxiety-ridden community and country to infect us. 
This is a gospel culture in this room. This is not a white or a black or a brown culture church. This is a gospel culture church. Which means that we don't find our unity in the fact that we minimize the differences, but we see those differences as as wrought by God and we celebrate them. And it means that we see a beauty in somebody else that no one else really looks far enough to see. The worst case scenario is that we allow the, the, the anxiety of our community to infect us and to shake us in our confidences in the promises of God. or the power of the work of God in our lives. Very quickly, three things. Let's respond, not react. Let's respond and not react. Let's lay down the the pens that, that write thoughtless words on social media in order to bend our knees in prayer. And, and that's pray for our community, and that's pray for our leaders, and that's pray for people that are affected by tragedies, and that's, that's, that's pray for law enforcement. And, and let us pray rather than react. That's our response. That's, that's not react, but let us respond. And then number two, let's develop a language of the gospel and how we, we interact with people in this community. We need to allow people to to understand that the gospel is not just about salvation, but it's also about transformation. That God, when he saves you, is not done with you, but that's just the beginning process. That's why he calls it a new birth and not a graduation. It's a new birth. You're going to begin a new life. You're going to begin living in the power of God's Spirit, in the wisdom of His Word, in a new way, which means that you're going to be interacting with people in a completely different way. We speak about the gospel. Because the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The the hope of our world is never going to be in the laws of man. We can outlaw and, and, and make illegal everything under the sun, but if we don't change the human heart, the law is going to do nothing. It's about changing the heart and the soul and the mind and the body of human beings. That's what it means to be redeemed. Not just forgiven, but to be changed. And then number three, we have to be more than words. We have to be more than words. We have to be a living and blood testimony to the power of the gospel to change lives. Never for a moment can we fail in the area of love. When somebody came up to Jesus and said, hey, you know, all of these laws, what's most important? And Jesus didn't hesitate. What did he say? You love God and you love people. You know, there's a lot in the Bible that after 35 years of professional study, there are still things that I'm still trying to get my mind around. But you know what? As a church, we can never fail at is love. As love. We might get some things wrong, but we can never fail when it comes to loving God and loving people. And understanding that every human being that we encounter 
you know, an understanding that we see them the way that God sees them, an understanding what the gospel is all about, how we can't fail in love, why we pray for changes in our community and changes in, 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 in our country and in the world and for there to be peace and all of these kinds of things. We just understand that we can't fail when it comes to love and loving people, understanding that everyone we ever encounter has been thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly worked over by the processes of idolatry, which means of godlessness in our world. So, I'm, this morning, I'm so brokenhearted. So brokenhearted, I don't really know what to do with myself. Brokenhearted because of the, the tragedies that just keep unfolding themselves in our, in, in our own story, in, in, in our own lives. But what gives me hope is knowing what God has done in the lives of people like us and how that can be the most powerful, impacting message of hope in our community. That it doesn't have to be the way it is right now. That's not the way God created the heavens and the earth. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But when they look at our church, not just in our worship, but as we conduct ourselves in this world around us, they begin to see what it is that God is doing through His gospel and through His people. And it's not darkness, but light. And it's not meanness and hatred, but it's this, this unbelievable, indescribable love and mercy and patience and kindness. And it's time for us to sing. It's time for us to sing. It's time for us to sing because the worship of God is, is the very thing that we need. We need to center God and to magnify God in our hearts in such a way that we leave this place not depressed, but optimistic and forward-looking. Because we ourselves individually, and we look out into the eyes of every person in this congregation, we know what it is that God can do to change a life. And that's bring that out into this community. We're going to sing this song. If there are some other needs that you need to bring before our church family, this is the time to do it. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. But this is a time for us not to be shaken. It's not a time for us to fear. It's a time for us to express our faith in God and the power of His promises and His Word. Let's stand and praise Him. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong hand.